Well, good morning. Man, it's so great to see you to our North Campus, South Campus. Man, it's going to be an incredible day today. And our online campus, a special word of welcome for you guys. We love being with you wherever you are. And I want to give our online campus an encouragement real quick. I don't know how you are engaging, maybe Facebook, YouTube, our church online platform, but I want to encourage you, our church online platform is the very best. Physical services, if you have to be out, you have to engage online, then man, if you can use what's on our website, what's on our app, it is a far better experience, and we are making a concerted effort. We know God wants everyone, hear me, everyone, physical campus, online campus, to be taking next steps with Jesus, because next steps lead to life. They lead to abundance. And so we're going to be doing more and more with our online family. It'll be a lot easier if you're part of the church online platform. So I encourage you in that. Now this morning I want to start with a confession. Uh, It's really simple. There's part of the truths of God's word that at least a part of me struggles with. I know I'm not alone in that. It's not even our century that struggles with this. The Apostle Paul, talking to a young preacher, said, Preach the word in season and out of season. For the time will come when men and women will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I actually understand how this could happen. There are Things in the Word of God that I love. I mean, there are truths that are encouraging and good and inspiring. And I love to talk about them when I preach. And I I love to go back to those passages in Scripture. I love to camp in the 8th chapter of Romans. I love to camp in the 3rd chapter of John. I love the 23rd Psalm. And I love diving into those things again and again. My mind just meditating on them. But there are other things in Scripture. Let's be honest. They are Equally true, they are equally good, but they're more serious than they are inspiring. They're more sobering than they are encouraging. And it's tempting for me as a person to skim over those passages, to kind of gloss over them, to kind of ignore them, and especially easy when I am preaching. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence, is infamously known for taking a razor blade and just cutting out portions of the New Testament he liked. He left the portions that he didn't like in the New Testament, he cut out the portions he liked, he pasted them in another one, and he actually created his own New Testament called the Jefferson New Testament, you can see it online now. And he left out a lot of things that he found implausible, a lot of things that he found distasteful. Now let's be honest. We could do that very easily today, right? You wouldn't have to have a razor blade. We have a thing called cut and paste on our word applications. We can just get the Bible cut and paste and we can make our own New Testament. But most of us, probably all of us, no matter how we're engaging, would not be so brazen as to do that. But let's be honest. Can we not do that in function? I mean, it is easy. It's tempting to gloss over to ignore certain passages and truths of Scripture. I know it's true for me, but I need you to hear me on this. When we do that, when we ignore, gloss over, minimize truths of Scripture because they challenge us, because we find them distasteful, we do so to a great detriment to our own spiritual journey. When we talk about Scripture, all Scripture, somebody say all. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. 
even if it's a struggle for us, even if we wrestle with it, it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God, all servants of God, can be thoroughly equipped for everything God has called us for in life. Listen to me. We need it all, both that which is inspiring and that which is sobering, both that which is encouraging and that which is serious. Most of us, when we think about Jesus, I mean, if I ask you, a word to describe Jesus, most of us would say, well, he was love. He was grace. He was compassionate. And he was absolutely those things. But if you really look at some of the words Jesus shared, they're words that cause us to struggle. I'm not talking about words from Paul. I'm not just talking about words in the Old Testament. There are some things Jesus said. Like this week, just write down your Bible. Read the 16th chapter of Luke. And it's a heavy, it's a weighty passage. And there are words that are in the red. Jesus spoke the whole thing. But especially at the end, we feel the weight. When he said, there was a rich man. Notice, this isn't one of the stories or parables Jesus is making up. It's not just an illustrative thing. There was a rich man. He is giving an account of a very real situation. This man was clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with source who desired to be fed with the food that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, it's interesting. There's something that we probably would not know that the first century listeners would have noted. We have two people in the account. Only one of them has a name. In ancient times, more so than today, a person's name was associated with the essence of that person. A name was considered more than just a social recognition, more than a way of just addressing somebody. It was considered prophetic in nature, a declaration of the nature and the character of the person. So we know that there was a guy here named Lazarus. Lazarus is a derivative from the Hebrew Eleazar, which means God is my helper. It's a statement about the nature of this man that though he was financially poor, his body was sick that he was rich because of his faith in God. But we don't even know the name of the other guy. All we know is he was what? He was rich, so it tells us something. His identity was tied to what? His money. His faith was entwined with his possessions. His essence was connected with his physical riches. Now, hear me, Jesus isn't saying that automatically happens if you have money. If he was saying that, we all Americans should be very, very concerned. But there is a truth shouted throughout Scripture that the more money you have, the easier it is to trust money and not trust God. Verse 22, the poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, speaking of heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And there, one word, is probably the greatest struggle area of Christianity that exists today. More people wrestle with the idea of hell than anything else. And remember, who said these words? Jesus. If you put together all the words in red, all the words in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you have to go to the Revelation as well, and one verse in Acts. You take all those verses and ask how many of them talk about hell and judgment. Words from Jesus, 13% of them. See, Jesus is clear about something we've got to grab hold of. God is both justice and love. But this is where a lot of people struggle because you hear a lot of people say, well, how could a loving God send someone to hell? 
I, I can never serve a God who would judge people and give them eternal punishment. The idea is this, that if God is really love, he would not punish, that if he had compassion and grace, that he wouldn't demand justice. And I find that really interesting because that's not the way we live as humans, is it? I mean, I would think most of us would say that we are people who are capable of love. Some of us love more easily than others. Some of us are able to engage in that more. But if I ask you right now, all campuses online, do you as a human have a capacity of love? We'd say, yeah. And we would say most, unless they're a psychopath. Most people have the capacity of love. But at the same time, do you want justice? Do you want when an injustice happens, is there something inside of you that cries for that to happen? Let something happen to one of your kids and see what rises up. Let something happen to one of your loved ones and see what rises up. I don't have to go into those details. There's something within us that demands it. It's interesting, this supposed standard that says love and justice cannot coexist in God is the exact way we as humans live in life. The other day I was thinking about September 11th. Not September 11th, 2021, September 11th, 2001. Some of you are young enough you can't remember the day. Others of us are old enough we remember exactly what happened. I was actually locked down in the nation of Israel when that event occurred. And I can remember being on the shores of the Sea of Galilee contemplating what had happened in New York City and contemplating things in the Bible. And I can remember thinking something very strongly. We as a nation, we as a people, we must respond to this injustice. Someone has to pay for what has happened. I even contemplated in those hours joining the military, being a part of the response team. Now, I don't know that I would be a great soldier. I'm not saying that at all. I was much younger, much fitter, all that kind of stuff back then. But I did at least think, hey, I could be a chaplain. I could be part of the team that responded to this injustice, that brought justice in life. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. I can name scenario after scenario, and all of us would say justice needs to happen. We love, and yet we demand justice at the same time. There's something deep within us, something that in humans that cry out, that demands payment, that demands justice. And think about it. When injustice happens, we ache. Right now, most of us are watching at some level the news. I'm, I, I'm not the most knowledgeable person when it comes to politics, and I really don't think that you can gain enough information from news sources to really figure out what's going on in the political realm. But we're all seeing that of what appears to be a tyrant invading another nation. And we feel the struggle inside of us because we want justice to come yet we don't want World War III. And we feel that tension, that tearing inside of us for this thing called justice in life. Do you realize that that exists nowhere else in all of creation? It's only among humans that we have justice. Like a lion kills a water buffalo. The rest of the water buffalo don't get together and communicate to one another how to form a plan to bring justice back upon the other lions, right? That doesn't occur anywhere except with us. That's also true of the thing called love. Justice like love is unique to human creation, humans in creation. Why? Because we're created how? We are created in the image of God who is both justice and love. And the Bible is clear. Jesus is returning and when he returns, he will judge. Interestingly, if I ask you for the adjectives you think about Jesus, you would say love, you'd say compassion, you'd say grace 
grace, but the one we wouldn't throw out, which is all through the scriptures, the judge of the living and the dead. But he is going to judge all who have ever existed, both those who have died and both those who are still alive. And interestingly, I think if we contemplate it, we know the truth is heavy, that it is sobering, but there's also a source of great joy in that. And I know, you're looking at me like I just went all loco, right? People online are going, man, I'm about to turn this off. Don't do it. The reason there is joy is this. I don't know what's going to happen in the end of the story with a Russian dictator who seems to be stepping well beyond what he should be doing. But I know this. No matter what happens, he will not escape justice. See, there is a truth that deep down we long to be right. And the truth is this. No one gets away with anything. I mean, th think about the reality. Hitler did all that Hitler did. And the Allied troops break through at the day of Normandy, on the beaches of Normandy. They go and they finally, a year or so later, get into Berlin. And in a bunker, what does Hitler do? He kills himself. And according to a lot of thought, he just got away with everything he did. No justice was served. Listen to me, that is not true. No one gets away with anything. That is the truth of the reality of justice of God. The men and women who traffic other human beings. I've been on the edge of the largest red light district in the world in Mumbai, India. I've preached to women who are so broken, who are so controlled, that their masters, if I can use that God-awful word, will let them go to church. They know they will go right back to the red light district, and after the service, they are going to do exactly what their masters want them to do because they so broke their wills inside of them. In that nation, those people who do that to other humans will not pay right now. They'll do it for decades and decades and decades, and then they will die. And the thought that there is no justice bothers my soul like nothing else. But here is reality. Listen to me. No one gets away with anything. Justice will be served. And deep down, most of us, if we're honest, we love that reality when it comes to tyrants, when it comes to slave traders, when it comes to traffickers, when it comes to rapists and murderers, that they will not get away with the atrocities they afflicted on humanity. We love that. The struggle is with everyday other folk, right? Those that we call decent Joes. This is where we struggle. You know, the scripture in celebrating the work of Jesus on the cross says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, anyone who's in Jesus Christ, were dead and were by nature the children of wrath, like what? All of humanity. As glorious and wonderful as the cross and resurrection is, as wonderful as it is to celebrate, we celebrate it because it tells us the truth. As morally reprehensible as I think a sex trafficker is, I, every human in that vial before a holy God, and all of us were destined to hell. All of us were subject to the wrath of God. The cross makes no sense outside of justice. 
If there is no justice, if there is no wrath, there was no need for the cross. If we could be good enough, decent enough, not atrocious enough um, in life, then if we could escape justice and wrath on our own, Jesus would not have had to do what he did. But here's the incredible news. He did do what he did. He paid the price for sin, including suffering the wrath of God. It is my belief, I will tell you it's not utterly clear in Scripture, but it is my belief that Jesus not only paid the price for our sins on the cross, I believe he went to hell. He who was glorious before anything else went to hell so I don't have to. It's the most glorious news ever. It's the most glorious truth ever that has been existed. And when he returns to judge the living and the dead, the scripture says that every human that has ever existed, about 107 billion sociologists tell us today, will all stand before the great white throne. But everyone who is in Jesus will not have to stand alone. Now, when we stand before the throne of God, Jesus will stand with us. I don't know how it's going to work. The Bible doesn't tell. But in my mind's eye, I can see, waiting for my moment to be before a holy God, my heart overwhelmed, and finally it is my time to be before the creator of everything, the one who is holy beyond what I can imagine. And when I am standing there, I don't know that any of us will stand. I would imagine we will kneel. And at the right hand of God is Jesus. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to stand. And he is going to help me up. And I can just imagine putting his hand on my shoulder. And maybe he'll just say one word. The last word he spoke on the cross. To tell us die. Paid. And he'll look at the father. And he said, I paid the price for this one. But the scripture says others will stand before the throne and they will stand on their own. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I, I, I realize there's a weight to what we're talking about. Sometimes we've got to feel the significance of what our lives really mean. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, scholars who love Jesus and scholars who love the Bible debate on the nature of the wrath of God. Listen to me. The most common view is that people who are apart from Jesus Christ will exist forever with no end physically suffering the torments of hell while being separated from God. This view doctrinally is called eternally conscious torment. Okay? But other scholars who love Jesus who love the word of God. So I'm not talking about people who reject kind of the reality of Jesus or the scripture. People who love the word of God say, no, they believe the scripture indicates that the wrath of God is really two parts. That people will be punished in two ways. First is the existence in a literal hell for a season paying for their sins. The duration and the intensity of that suffering depended upon what they did for earth. So remember, they go to a, little, a literal hell for a season paying in their person the price that justice demands. But once that punishment is complete, God, who is just, is also a God of love and mercy. He causes them to cease in their existence. 
So listen to me. It doesn't mean that they go to heaven. Not a thought of purgatory. That's not in the scripture. But what happens is they pay the price for their sins, however much that needs to be, and then God in his love and mercy just causes them to cease in existence. He annihilates them. He destroys them. They, they are consumed by the flame, but they are eternally punished in the sense that they are no longer with God. They cease to exist. This is often called annihilationism or term, terminal punishment. Both views have biblical merit. And some of you are looking at me and saying, which is your view? Not going to tell you. I have leanings, but I'm studying it out. I'm not going to lie to you. I want the second to be real. And and it's there. And don't don't feel like, well, David, that that just feels like you're trying to accommodate stuff. I'm really not. I think there's actual evidence for it, and I'm looking into it. I'm just not sure. But either way, it doesn't matter. Here is reality. There is a judgment. And part of that, let's be honest, brings us joy. And part of that's really sobering. But the reality of that judgment means that the way we live on this earth matters. And the reason we are here matters in our lives. It matters as a community of faith. It matters as an individual. A big reason that we exist as Jesus followers is to give people the best opportunity possible to have hope in life. And by hope, I don't mean that we can have stronger mental health. In our day-to-day existence, I'm not talking about having greater satisfaction in our day-to-day life. Those things are great, but it isn't limited to this world. Hope is about abundant life now, and more importantly, abundant life forever. People need hope that's found only in Jesus. And obviously, we can't make somebody embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can put a gun to their head. You can put a knife to their throat and say, confess Jesus is Lord. And they might utter the words, but the Bible doesn't say you just say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Somebody must say with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that reality. We can't make that happen. But we can live to give people opportunity. Amen? We can love people. We can serve people. We can show them the reality of Jesus so they have the best opportunity. It's why we exist. It's why the things we talk about here are so important. We say it this way. Beltway Park is a group of people helping each other take our next steps. Say next steps. Our next steps with Jesus so that we can bless. Say bless. Bless ultimately means we want to help people find hope that's found only in Jesus Christ. People who are far off to God can find their way back to God. We want to bless our neighbors, whether they literally live next door to us or they are half a world over on another continent. We want to exist that way. We exist to help people find hope in Jesus, to give them that opportunity so that when they take their first step with Jesus, they can live with increasing hope as we know Jesus better. So we tell you stories here all the time about the work that God's doing in people's lives. But about this time every year, I give what's called the annual report. It's not a state of the union. Man, I could say all, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not a state of the union. It's an annual report. And our annual report is just really another way of celebrating what God is doing. But we're using numbers because Americans, let's be honest, we love numbers. But we can never forget Every number has a name. Every name has a destiny. Every destiny matters to God. 
So when I tell you that in 2021, that 3,963 people on average attended one of our physical services. That's with the big ups and downs of all the COVID swings. And I add to that that there were 3,875 conservatively people, conservative number people be online, say there's over 7,800 people on an average basis that are part of our services on a weekend. I need you to remember this. Number 3,875, 3, that number has a name. And that name matters. It matters immensely to God. And that name has a destiny, an internal destiny. And we want that, name, that person to have hope. Amen? It's also one of the reasons in our 2030 vision that we want to help start five churches throughout the United States. Because honestly, new churches are better than old churches of helping people know about Jesus Christ. It's just a reality. We don't want to be that. We want to be an exception as an old church. But we have actually started partnering with four churches already. One of them, you can look them up, they are a cool church. They are hip, man. I'm just telling you, not me hip, I mean like really hip. It's History Makers Church in Miami, Florida. You can look them up online. They are awesome. They launched their services two weeks ago. So th this week is their third weekend. For the first two weeks, they had over 300 people a week in their services and saw over 50 people total in those two weeks embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time. Isn't that not great? We got to be a little piece of that in Miami, Florida. Hick o Abilene, Texas, helping the cool people in Miami, Florida, right? It is awesome that we got to do that. It's incredible, but we're seeing it here. Like, we saw 328 people confess Jesus Christ in 2021 through baptism. Over the last seven years, over 2,000 people have confessed Jesus through baptism. And we have a dream that between 2020 and 2030, we'll see those numbers increase and we're going to see 4,000 people. Somebody pray with me on that. We will see 4,000 people have their eternities changed in the big country that way. A lot of that happens when people are young. 80% of people who embrace Jesus Christ do so before they're 14 years of age. That means kids are very important to us. So each week, we have... 2,180 individual kids on our campuses. Many of them are here three days a week, four days a week, five days a week. These are the number of individual kids. I'm just telling you, it is a lot of little hands. It's a lot of little feet. It's a lot of mess. It's a lot of noise. And it's glorious because we're partnering with parents for all that God wants to do in their kids' lives. Some of them come after school. And so after school, 345 kids that have been cooped up in school all day descend upon the South Campus. And it is loud, and it's awesome. In the summer, that number increases all day, 7 in the morning to 6 at night, some of them. 425 of them hearing of the love of Jesus, experiencing the love of Jesus. We have those who foster and adopt right now. We have 121 kids that have been fostered and adopted that we know of among us. We have 27 active foster families right now. We have 13 wraparound teams. The wraparound team is going to be four to eight families who are surrounding one of our foster families. And we have a dream. Listen to me. We need about 275 in Abilene. We need about 750 families in the 325 zip code. And we believe the church of Jesus Christ all together. How many churches in the big country? How many? One church, lots of locations. We believe the church of Jesus can rise up uniquely and meet that in the lives of kids. And we will resolve the foster care family crisis that is in the big country region in the years to come. This is one of the ways that we show people the love of Jesus Christ. But it's not the only way. Remember, each one of these families taking in a number. That number has a name. 
traumatized by the issues of life. And they can experience the love of Jesus Christ. But it's not the only way around here we show the love of Jesus Christ, man. We have our food pantry. We serve 591 families in 2021 with just the practical element of food. So that food you bring, we give it out as fast as we can. In our benevolence, that means we're helping people pay bills that can't pay bills. We had 370 families help, $77,000 that was handed out, bills that were paid, etc. We have an auto garage. You have to have an automobile to work in Abilene, Texas. We helped 185 families. That's going to jump this year in a big way. We actually had 10 vehicles donated to us that our teams then worked on to make sure they were up and going. And we gave them to somebody who needed a vehicle because they could take a step forward now. That's 10 cars that were given away. That excites me. I don't know why. All this excites me. We have Boots on the Ground that works on people's home that can't afford it. They help 670 families, 275 people from our church, others through the community help that as well. Anybody remember last February, 2021? Some of you trying to block that off? We believe, we, we, we didn't keep a good job of keeping count of people because to be honest, we were just treading water. But we believe at least 700 people came into our building, some of them for several days. They came and they lived, they came, they brought their dogs, they brought their cats. <laughs> I just didn't have the heart to tell somebody they couldn't bring their cat into our building. But I got prayer teams up here after cats were in our building, they just walked and cleansed the building from the spirit of the cat, all that kind of stuff. We had iguanas, we had hamsters, we had everything, man. And we got to see Jesus show to people. You know, you know what amazed me? We never put out a word for help. Somehow the word got out that people were here, people just started showing up. Every dude with a four-wheel drive truck was excited. It's like, finally, I got a reason for my four-wheel drive. They started picking people up. They started bringing them here, and people just started showing up again and again. How can I help? How can I serve? That's the reality of who we are. Just wanted to show the love of Jesus. It was incredible. We actually try to count the number of times that we touch somebody, showing them the love of Jesus Christ. And we believe minimally that we had 104,617 points where we try to, in some practical way, in some form, show somebody that Jesus loves them. That's just in the big country. Isn't that incredible? What do you do with thousands of people so that we make sure we're loved for, cared for, things like that? How do you, how do you deal with that? We have groups. 451 adult groups in 2021. We also have our teens in groups. We have our kids in groups, our children. I mean, everybody is in a group that we can know we're loved and we're cared for. All this happens around Beltway Park because we have serve teams. I'm going fast here, I know. 2,307 individuals served on our serve teams. And some of you are thinking right now, well, that's awesome, that means you don't need me. Lie! <laughs> because the things God is calling us to is a region. We're not going to quit till everyone has hope in Jesus Christ. We are going to serve. We're going to love. We're going to do everything we can to give everyone the best opportunity to have eternity with Jesus and not apart from him. That, that is who we are and such. We have camps. You heard today that we have camp meetings for our first time. Campers with kids because it's a little bit of something to send your second grader off to camp. I get that. We actually have several camps. 2021 was especially difficult. 
We had to do all sorts of stuff. 2020, we didn't get to have any of them. 2021, we just said, we're going to jump through the hoops. So we had men's boot camp. We had 306 men that went to our boot camp. We had 429 women go to our women's re release retreat. We had 548 teens attend our Baptist student, uh, Baptist, our Beltway student ministry and Baptist um, student ministry in, the, in that season. And we had 373 kids attend camp in this year, second through fifth grade. All this happens, listen to me, because people give. People give of their time, people give of their abilities, but there is a truth, people give of their finances. And so we want to keep you up to speed of what we give. Um, 2021 was a year I can't even explain financially. Uh, in 2021, in general offerings, we had almost $14 million given to here. Now, yeah, somebody give a round. Now, some of you are not as old as I am, you can remember past reports. And you're thinking, that's a big jump. It is a big jump because we had some large one-time gifts that came in that are not normal for us. Okay, so we, we wouldn't expect those in 2022. Um, but we're grateful for them in 2021. The elders don't budget on that. We have plans. But here's what's exciting. When people give money like that, we turn around, we get to give more of it away. So we give percentages of our budget to missions, 31, 33%, but we had extra money, so we gave even more. So out of our general offering, we gave $5,031,499. Don't get excited yet, because here's what's cool. Then people, oh, I forgot about this. Oh, this is so cool. Because of giving like this, we just sent almost $100,000 to the Ukraine. These are our partners right now. This, this leader right here, you, you probably can't pick him up. <laughs> he actually is a dual citizen of Ukraine in the United States. And so he could have left. He could have just used his American passport and got on an airplane and came here and be safe. But he said, who's going to show people hope in this day if it's not us? And so he's there in his city trying to bring the love of Jesus to as many as he can, show hope, and they're just trying to get as many people out of the country as they can. And so you have families like that. That's, that's his wife. And you have families being separated like this. This picture kills me. If a father saying goodbye to his kids as he sends them on and he will stay and he will battle uh, as they are being invaded right now. And we got to help a little bit. It, it, it's overwhelming in that sense because people were faithful. And we'll, we will do more in the days to come, I'm sure. In addition to that, people gave $1.1 million just to our ministry partner straight through us, so just to celebrate. Through Beltway Park last year, $6.132,900,000. I can't even read the number right, it's so big. $6,132,900 given to missions and outreach through Beltway Park in 2021. Will somebody give a shout and give a praise to God? And we do all this because we long for one thing, the hope that we have in Jesus. We want other people to have that hope as well. Hope not just for this life, but for the life to come. I am so blessed. I'm so blessed to be part of a church like you. People that will love so deeply and be so generous in their time and their abilities. People that are online around the world who are part of things. People who are here in the big country. It, it is overwhelming. And I'm grateful and I just, I believe that God's going to enable us to do more in the days to come. 
We want everybody to have hope. So let's do this. Everyone, let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you have hope in Jesus Christ, you have the confidence that of eternity with Jesus, eternity with the Father because you've embraced Jesus Christ. I just encourage you to give thanks right now. It sounds trite to many today, but it is not trite to me. I am thankful that I am not bound to hell and I'm not bound to suffer the wrath of God. I am grateful. And to be honest, I'm grateful for opportunities where I have to preach something that I don't necessarily want to preach because I need to hear it. I need to feel that weight and I need to feel the gratitude that comes with it. And maybe you don't have that hope. Maybe you're among us right now and you say, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I don't know if I'm going to spend eternity. And you're going to think, I've done too much, I've been too far. And I'm just telling you right now, the cross is sufficient. It is enough. All you got to do is say yes. Jesus doesn't make anybody follow him, but he offers it to everyone. And I'm not going to push or try to contrive or anything like that, but here's what I want you to do. If you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, North Campus, South Campus, online, I want everybody to do the same thing. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, I want to do so right now. I want to make him mine, and I want to have my eternity shifted from wrath to heaven. Eternity apart from God, on my own, paying for my own sins, or I want to embrace what Jesus did. And you say, I need to embrace him right now. I'm going to count to three. When I hit three, you say, I want to follow Jesus. You put your hands up right now, and he's going to change you in this moment when you agree to be his follower. Listen to me. This is not a small decision. It's huge. It's, it's pushing all your chips of life in to this one thing. But I'm telling you, it's the greatest return you will ever have. If you say yes to Jesus, first time, you raise your hand when I hit three. One, two, three. Put your hands up right now. Come on, there's people. I see them. I see them here. I can't see the North Campus, but I see... People here, praise be to God. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Stay in this place of prayer. Give them a round of applause. Say, thanks be to God. That is awesome. Now, if you raise your hand any campus, I want you to come down to the front to one of our prayer partners. We're going to pray with you and talk about your next steps, which is going to be baptism and learning some foundations of Jesus. We want to be there with you. All of us, I want to do this. Let's ask God for a greater anointing to share hope. Would you do that right now? I want you to pray for your church, Beltway Park Church, and pray that we have an anointing to share more and more hope around the world. More and more hope. As much as I hate what's going on in the Ukraine, there is an openness to the gospel in the Ukraine right now like no other season they have ever known. That what the enemy intends for evil, God is at work to bring good. We want to pray for their openness. We want to be a people who share hope here. So would you just pray for that us right now? Would you pray for yourself individually that we would be people of more than ever a greater anointing to have hope? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. And I pray the words of the Apostle Paul. May you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you that we might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us be a people anointed to share hope, to give hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Let us love more than we have ever loved. Let us serve more than we have ever served, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.